Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Any Given You podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael Megan, and we have an awesome show here for you today. I do not have time for any games as I am on a tight schedule on this one. So we are just going to get right into it because we have an action-packed show full of lots of burning questions about this 2023 season for some of the most prominent programs in college football. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about what some certain conference pictures may look like with the injects of new coaching staffs and what certain team success might spell for other teams' fortunes here moving forward. I'd like to start off in Tuscaloosa talking about Alabama's quarterback situation. There has been a lot made about this in recent weeks, as we know that Notre Dame transfer Tyler Buckner has entered into the uh, quarterback picture there in Tuscaloosa, uh, along with Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson. Normally, and it's been it's been said normally when you have a quarterback situation like that, where you have a former Elite Eleven guy coming in to that transfer picture and landing at the new program, you see a little bit of a starburst of the quarterbacks on that roster that may feel like they're out of quarterback contention or out of starter contention uh, moving forward. That's not the case in Tuscaloosa as all three of those quarterbacks are still in the mix. And we've come out of spring football and into this summer picture now, and there's still no clear-cut definitive winner of this job as it looks like this is going to continue into the fall time frame until a starter is announced. So what to make of this? Because there are a lot of folks that are in absolute crisis mode right now with Alabama talking about their quarterback situation is a crucial problem. We've hit absolute, you know, failure, death of the program. You know, Alabama doesn't have a quarterback, right? Well, if you are going off the metrics of the last couple of years, right, with the Tua Tagovailoa's and the Mac Joneses and the uh, you know Bryce Youngs of the world, and that's all you're basing your Alabama experience off of, then you know maybe in your mind you're correct with that one. But I remember a time and I remember a day when Alabama dominated college football at a level that was even more superior than what they have done over the last couple of years. And they did it without quarterbacks that were household names. They did it with guys that were like A.J. McCarron and Coker. And what those teams looked like was Alabama teams that would dominate the trenches, play field position, play great special teams for the most part, except the, that whole extra point kicking game, right? <laughs> and that's how they did it. They did it on the ground. They did it with balance which was a far cry from the Alabama product that we saw over the last couple of years, which is the Alabama product that I was the most critical of because I felt like fundamentally, and I have said this before several, several times that they had gotten away from the things that had made them great in the first place. I think that by absolute forcing function this season, you're going to see Alabama return to a lot of those things that they've done. Fundamentally, they are still loaded as a roster. I want to put that out there. I'm going to say it again. They are still loaded as a roster. They have six five-star recruits in their edge rusher room, for Christ's sake. I mean, what are we talking about? The rest of this roster is absolute national championship quality, top to bottom. They have an offensive line that should be coming in this year that should be elite. They have a secondary that's not going to 
give up much in in the in terms of the long bomb and anything else like that. They have great front seven play, and they have a very deep stable of running backs and wide receivers that may be able to make up for some of the inefficiency at quarterback. The one spot that you could circle on the roster right now that they don't have it all figured out is that quarterback spot. But once again, if it, with this roster, if you get average to a little better than average quarterback play, or at least a guy that understands the philosophy, the scheme, and what is being asked of him, you can have a lot of success on this Alabama team. This team still has the second best title odds in the country at plus 550 right behind Georgia. So Vegas seems to agree with me on the Crimson Tide. So what I'm saying is, is to go ahead and make this, close this loop and bring this full circle. If you are panicking about Alabama's quarterback situation, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Now, if we were looking at this situation and we had a huge exodus of talent from Alabama, the rest of the roster wasn't squared away in a lot of ways. We had holes all over the place. I could get that. I could understand that. I could understand that. But if if you're discouraged, just look right across the way at, at Georgia and what they were able to do. They had a five-star roster led by a former two-star quarterback that a lot of people didn't believe in. Seemed to seem to work out all right for them. So Alabama is still very much a dangerous player despite the muddy quarterback situation, but I trust Nick Saban to get it figured out going into this year. He's going to pick the right guy for the job if the right guy's in that room. Can USC make the the run, quote-unquote, this year, right, <clears throat> towards the uh, national championship picture? Excuse me, I got to take a sip of my coffee this morning. Uh, I hate, you know, I really don't prefer recording in the morning, but it just kind of worked out that way on, on today's schedule. So excuse me for the scratchy voice, but, um, we're going to get into it. So can they make the run at a national championship this year? Well, let's start with the quarterback situation. Obviously you have the returning Heisman winner in Caleb Williams back with Lincoln Riley, who's the quarterback whisperer. And you know, the quarterback is going to put up a lot of production as long as he stays healthy you know, I would assume that he's going to be right back in the mix for a second consecutive Heisman. The wide receiver room is still very strong, and the offensive line is actually a strength of this team coming here into 2023. They have a lot of big bodies up front and some depth and experience continuity there coming into this season, which has been something that I've been very critical of of USC over the last couple of years. Now, I don't know about the depth of that line from starter to backup. I feel like that might be some pretty big drop off there, but the top soil of this offensive line is very good, provided that they're able to stay healthy. I think the real question here is what are these key defensive pieces for USC look like coming into this next year? And I think it starts up front with a guy named Bear Alexander, the Georgia transfer, the highly talented kid over 300 pounds, which is a rarity out there in the Pac-12, especially along defensive fronts. The size that is required to be able to stop the run at an elite level, and you have a guy that enters the mix out there for the Trojans, that you can. those are the types of pieces you're going to need on that defensive front to do that. I'm not just talking about Pac-12 play. I mean, we're talking about making a run at the national championship, right? We're talking about you know having to be good on a national level, and when you – snag players like that either through the transfer portal or you recruit them out right out of high school and you develop them you know those are the kinds of pieces you're going to need they bring in 
some really good front seven help in a linebacker like Mason Cobb out of Oklahoma State. I'm very, very big on this kid. I think he's going to be a really good linebacker for them uh, here in this next year, and they have a solid secondary piece. My question is this. At Oklahoma, there was talent on that defensive side of the ball. The common denominator was Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch, right? What's to say that this is going to be any different this year? Now, I, I really do like the pieces that they have brought in defensively for USC. Don't get me wrong on that. I mean, I gave Lincoln Riley his flowers for putting an emphasis on the defensive side of the ball and bringing in these guys. But Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley have not shown me anything different on that defensive side of the ball. I've been watching these guys for a few years now at Oklahoma and last year, and they're the common denominator. And also the common denominator is those defenses have not been very good. They have not been good in pursuit. They have not been good in tackling. They have not been good in protecting leads. That has been the Achilles heel of these Lincoln Riley programs in the national title picture. I mean, it, it just is. It That has been what has held them back. It certainly hasn't been the passing yards. It hasn't been the offensive ingenuity or, or any of that. It hasn't been the ability to put up points. It's been the ability to put opponents away. It has been the ability to protect leads. So even with these defensive pieces coming in to gel, my question, or the, the original question is, can they make the run this year? Well, of course they can. They're fielding a team. They're playing a, a, a major power five schedule. Of course they can. But until I see something different out of this USC defense, until I see something different out of Alex Grinch and crew, and they convince me, that against the upper tier of that Pac-12, they're not only able to build that lead, but protect that lead and put opponents away. I think the jury remains out on whether or not, you know, they're going to win a national title this year, but they certainly have the roster in place. And don't kid yourself from a talent perspective to be able to do this. Will Texas finally be back, quote unquote, in 2023? Well, I guess that depends on your definition of back. Let's talk about Texas for a second. They have the 19th overall returning production coming back into this year, which is good because when you take a step forward as a program, you want to try to build on some of that. And one of the best ways to build on that is continuity, right? If you are starting over from scratch, okay, the successes of that team before don't really transfer. The lessons don't really transfer the same way they would as if you are returning that nucleus. So with number 19 overall returning production and all 100 and 28, 29 teams or whatever that is. So it's a pretty good amount of players that are going to be coming back for Texas, namely quarterback Quinn Ewers, which is one of the most marquee crucial. It is the most crucial spot as far as continuity goes to have a returning quarterback. Along with wide receiver Xavier Worthy, they return as one of the most electric combos in the sport, potentially, as far as the ability to put up a ball, and score six, just like lightning. I mean, that kid is an electric deep threat. Great guy to have as an option to be chucking the ducks to. And this offensive line for Texas could be elite coming into this year. They Now, we, we've talked about how well, and it's no secret, how well Texas has recruited that offensive line position. In fact, they've put so much an emphasis on it that there is a whole collective at Texas that is devoted to nothing but offensive linemen right? They they pay them $50,000 annually to be an offensive lineman for Texas. So they kind of got something figured out there, putting the priority on that position group, right? Obviously, not only to protect your quarterback, 
would open up lanes in the run game. And we all know it starts up front. And that's something that Steve Sarkeesian understands keenly. And I'm sure he understands that from his days at Alabama as well. Championship teams are recruited from the inside out. And it is absolutely the priority of Texas football to get back into that championship picture. So a potentially elite offensive line, a wide receiver room that is very talented. Yes, you lose Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson in the backfield, but Texas has never really lacked for talent at the running back position. I mean, it's the state of Texas, for Christ's sake. You could probably throw a stone and find a kid who could run behind that offensive line. And then you have Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning waiting in the winds, which we don't know really what Arch Manning could potentially you know, uh, turn into here at the college level, but he's definitely certainly a highly rated recruit and, you know, looks the part, at least sitting on the bench. So, I mean, we'll see what he does, uh, hopefully in some mop-up duty this year. On the defensive side of the ball, they return a little bit less continuity. And that, again, just like we talked about a moment ago with USC, has sort of been Texas's Achilles heel, the ability for them to put away opponents, the ability for them to protect leads, the ability for them to shut opponents down when they're able to do things on the offensive side of the ball. Now, we did see a Texas defense over the last part of last year begin to improve in that regard. I I think that they started to stiffen up and sort of solidify on that side of the ball. But again, they're losing a couple of key pieces. So we know that Texas has not lacked for talent. We know that they have recruited extremely well over the last few years. You can go back and look at the Texas recruiting rankings, and believe it or not, this is a program that has recruited top five, top ten for several, several years. They just haven't gotten the most out of those recruits on the field. I wonder if this is the year that it starts to gel for them with you know that return in production, you know, year three of the Steve Sarkeesian um, you know, tenure here at Texas, could we see the Longhorns in a position to be back, quote unquote, at least from the perspective of winning a Big 12 championship? I think that right there would solidify Texas being back, in my opinion, right? Because this is Texas is not this program that people seem to assume Texas is. Texas is not Alabama. Texas is not Ohio State. They are not Notre Dame. They don't have 11 and 9 and 17 national championships, okay? They have like 5, okay? So they're more they're a lot closer to Tennessee than they are to, you know, the elite of the elite in college football, right? They don't have as many national titles as Oklahoma. All right? So this whole Texas being back thing, okay? Do I think they could be in a position to win a conference title this year? Yes. Yes, I do. If they do that, in my opinion, I think Texas would be back, right? That showdown with Alabama, I think, is going to tell us a lot because we already talked about what kind of team Alabama potentially is coming into this year. And I do still believe they're a national championship caliber team, maybe just not with the star power at quarterback, which we already talked about. That matchup between Texas and Alabama, I think, is so huge, so huge coming into this year. And um, and and I think I think it's real. It's much bigger, in my opinion, for Texas than it is for Alabama. Because if you have that returning star quarterback, you have this returning offensive production, you have a very talented roster, and you're looking to take that step forward. And Alabama turns around and does what Alabama does, and beats you again, or beats you even uglier than that controversial win last year. I mean, a more definitive win in Tuscaloosa this year. I think that it could do a lot to derail 
the expectations and the excitement at Texas, which is what they're trying to build that groundswell. So uh, I, I think it's I think it's a crucial. I honestly I think for the health of the program for Texas, it's a must win game. It's one I have circled on the calendar. I cannot wait to see that one between Texas and Alabama coming into this year. I have some thoughts about how I think that game is going to play out, but I'm going to reserve that one for closer to the season as we do our previews and predictions much closer to the actual toe going on to the leather and kicking the ball, you know, so we're not going to do, we're not going to be making those calls here in May, June. So um, let's go, let's go, uh, let's go to the big 10. Let's talk about big 10 for a second. So has Michigan supplanted Ohio state as the dominant power in the big 10? Hmm. Let's unpack that one for a second. So, let me give you some numbers. Michigan is 24 and 3 in their last two seasons. They have two Big Ten championships, two college football playoff appearances, two big wins over Ohio State. Yeah, in the Big Ten, they're running things right now. They are. I believe they have supplanted Ohio State as the dominant power in the Big Ten. But. Who scares you more? Who scares you more on a national level? Who scares you more if your team was in the playoff picture? If your team was in the college football playoff, right? Would you rather see Michigan or Ohio State? I would rather see Michigan. I would 100% rather see Michigan than Ohio State because Ohio State is the kind of team that is stronger on a national scale. They're the kind of team that is built to compete better on the national scale. They have a Michigan problem. They have a Michigan Wolverines problem. Other teams don't have a Michigan problem. Okay. Let's look at the last two college football playoffs. All right. Let's look at it. Georgia clearly doesn't have a Michigan problem. All right. 2021, they absolutely throttled Michigan in the Orange Bowl, right? This past year, Michigan lost to a team in TCU that they had absolutely no business losing to. Now, I know that there was a couple of crucially bad calls in that game, but the bottom line is the talent on those two rosters, TCU should have lost that game by three tutties. Absolutely should have lost by three scores. Yet they beat them and then are promptly destroyed by Georgia 65-7 to in the national championship game. It wasn't even fucking close. Not even close, all right? That's my point. Michigan messes around, loses to a team like TCU. Do we think Ohio State loses to TCU? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think Ohio State throttles TCU. Meanwhile, you've got Ohio State taking Georgia to the wire in Atlanta, missing a couple of their key players at that, right? Ohio State is absolutely the scarier team on the national level but they do have a Michigan problem. Michigan, as far as being the dominant power within the Big Ten Conference, I think has earned that spot with what it is that they have done over the last two years. They come into this year with the number five overall returning production. They have a ton of continuity returning. A ton, right? Ohio State has talent. Ohio State has first-round draft picks all over that field. They've got first-round draft picks 
all across that roster. They're not just loaded up in one position group. They are all over the place. They have them on the line. They have them on defense. They have them in the wide receiver room. They have them in the backfield. They have them in the second. They are one of those teams that is absolutely loaded to the gills with talent. Michigan is loaded to the gills with continuity. And they have a good enough roster to beat Ohio State. They have demonstrated that over the last couple of years. Ohio State has a Michigan problem. Okay? But the rest of the country doesn't necessarily have a Michigan problem. That's how I'm going to answer that question. Ohio State is more dominant nationally. Michigan is more dominant within the conference right now. And we're going to see what this uh, third installment of the Harbaugh, Ryan Day, you know, well, not really third installment, but you see what I'm, you get what I'm saying. We'll see if he goes for three in a row is what I'm going at. This game coming into this year is back in Ann Arbor. Uh, and it's going to tell a lot about the trajectory of these two programs. If Ohio State, if Ryan Day and Ohio State can't get past their Michigan problem this year, it could derail nationally one of the most successful programs out there, right? So it's really interesting to see what's going to happen with that. It's always the biggest rivalry in college football. I mean, it is. I'm not a Big Ten guy, but it's 100% the biggest rivalry in college football. The way that these two teams and these fan bases treat each other and act towards each other is absolutely insanity. Um, I'm very interested to see which way this one goes. So, um, so, so that's that. Let's stay in the Big Ten, though. And let's talk about what a strong Wisconsin program under Luke Fickle does to the power balance in the Big Ten. So right now, in my opinion, right? Actually, well, it's not just my opinion. I think I think we could all agree upon this one. Right now, you've got Michigan and Ohio State, one, two, solidly. All right. And then a little bit of distance. And then you got Penn State kind of sitting there, being the heel biter, being the team that if you don't take them seriously or you don't play them hard for 60 minutes, they could reach up and clip one of those two teams. And then there's a significant gap, all right? And then it's kind of everybody else. And then down at the very bottom, you have the Rutgers and the Indianas of the world, the Nebraskas recently, right? What happens if Luke Fickle introduces a Wisconsin program that's at least as strong as that Penn State kind of feel, right? And we have another, instead of Penn State being alone on that second tier spot, now we have Wisconsin sitting there consistently, right? Maybe even better, who knows? I mean, I, I think the world of Luke Fickle as a coach, he got Cincinnati, a group of five team to the playoff. I mean, his body of work at Cincinnati, I think speaks for itself. Now you're talking about a program that probably, most likely, definitely has better resources. They have a bigger fan base. They have elevated recruiting. They have elevated strength and conditioning, right? What's he going to be able to do with that? How is he going to be able to elevate that program through the recruiting and the groundswell, everything else? I think he's going to build a formidable Wisconsin program. I think he's going to modernize that program and make it sexy to go to Wisconsin, you know, which is which is something that may be unprecedented because it never will, really was one of those programs. But what if it is? What if it becomes one of those programs, right? Under Luke Fickle. What does that do to the power balance in the Big Ten? I think it all but ensures someone's getting fired, right? 
If you are James Franklin at Penn State, <coughs> pardon me, excuse me, a a coach that I've been um, critical of in the past, right? I don't think he's I don't think he's a terrible coach. I think he I do think he has underachieved a little bit with that program. Um, and all of a sudden you're introducing a Luke Fickle that is stealing your thunder. It's, it's stealing your spot. And with the divisions going away, now it's coming down to the best two teams are going to play for it, right? Let's say all of a sudden you get a Wisconsin situation where they are eliminating Penn State from contention. They're leapfrogging Penn State. What do you think they're going to do there in Happy Valley? Do you think they're going to they're, they're going to stand for that? I don't think so because I think it would be looked at from the, the spot of you had this time you had this level of recruiting, you had all this going on. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden he comes in and now we're relegated to fourth or fifth best in the conference. What is going on? Right now, I'm not saying that's going to happen because it could happen the other way. Penn state could sit solidly where they're at Ohio state, Michigan, maybe they don't budge. And then Luke fickle, maybe he's not up to snuff there at Wisconsin. He doesn't get Wisconsin back to even Paul Christ's success, you know, which I don't think will be the case, but maybe it does. Well, then you start looking at Luke Fickle. Well, why why, why are we paying you this much? I mean, we could, you know, we could bring in Joe Schmo and, and do what you're doing here. Or how about the Matt Rule situation, right? Let's introduce another power player into this Big Ten uh, coaching pool of sharks is what I really think it is because I think there are some really good coaches in the Big Ten. I think Jim Harbaugh is a great coach. I think Luke Fickle's a great coach. I've seen what Matt Rule can do. James Franklin, when he eats his Wheaties, is actually a decent coach. I, Ryan Day's obviously a very, very good coach. P.J. Fleck, that's another guy I consider to be a very good coach. There are a lot of good coaches in this conference. They're going to wind up eating each other. There's a lot of good coaches in this conference that are going to end up getting each other fired, is what I'm saying. Introducing Luke Fickle into this mix with a – uh, an ascending program, which one's going to climb, which one's going to fall. It's it's very interesting right now. It's getting crowded there in the Big Ten, especially with them dissolving the divisions. So I don't know. I just I think that uh, the Big Ten, in my opinion, if I was to call it the the conference of blank, I would say it's the conference of coaches. I, I, I'm I'm very impressed with the caliber of coach that is up there in the Big Ten, and uh, they got another power player with Fickle Wisconsin. So we'll see how that all plays out for them. Lastly, tonight on the show, or today, I should say, what does Florida State success mean for, for Florida and Miami? Okay, so we've seen Florida State actually reach up and start having some recent successes. They have the number one returning production this year. They've got Jordan Travis already billed as a potential Heisman candidate. A preseason Heisman candidate, right? And they have a team that looks like they're ready to take that next step forward. A big, massive matchup with LSU taking place in Orlando. It looks like this team is primed to make a push towards something special this year. I would say at the minimum, an ACC crown. We could be looking at a college football playoff berth, potentially. They are in the title picture as far as their odds are concerned. Vegas seems to think so. So what does their success mean for a Florida team that is so clearly struggling right now, a Miami team that didn't get out of the blocks last year and lost a lot of fanfare and a lot of momentum. Well, the days of the big three are gone. 
okay? The state of Florida has been pillaged for its recruits over the last several, several years, okay? It is not the days where Florida was able to hold on to all the best talent and split it kind of three ways, and that's why you had three killer programs down there. Now it's much more about maybe that there's it's too crowded. There's no room to have you know several elite programs in the state of Florida. What it means for Florida and Miami is they're out of time, man. They are out of time, and they better be rooting for FSU's downfall. They might they better be LSU LSU's biggest fans. They better be Clemson's biggest fans because how do you how do you convince recruits, especially in that Sunshine State? that your program has it going on over what they're doing in Tallahassee. How do you do that? Because we know that recruiting is the lifeblood of college football. How do you convince them not to put spears on their helmets right now? I don't know. I'm pretty fired up for what Florida State is doing. I, I think it's good for college football that this program is healthy. But I also think it's good for po- college football that Florida and Miami, you know, also have a decent product to put on the field, right? So it's a it's a tough kind of conundrum right now, right? I don't know how it's going to shake out exactly, but I do think that Florida's success means ill will for Florida and Miami, and they're going to have to figure that out. That is something that they are going to have to figure out. How to keep recruits at home in the Sunshine State, keep them off of programs that are pilfering them for national championship talent, and how do they get back into the picture when Florida State has clearly separated itself from the pack? I don't know. But thank you for joining me on today's episode as we unpack some of these burning questions. I'm sorry. Again, it was a brief one. It was quick, down, and dirty because of my schedule. But take care, and we will see you next time. And remember, any given time, any given place, any given team, you get it here at any given you.